let's just get something clear right out of the gate. I am not usually a big fan of survival stories. I think I've made it clear on previous episodes of the podcast that I don't do well with novels in which a singular human being is trying to make his or her way in some abandoned island or wilderness setting. I get lost in the details of the shelter building and the animal hunting and the storm avoiding, and I really just want another human to show up so we can get some real action and conversation going. Knowing this, you can only imagine how lukewarm I felt about diving into Jean Craighead George's My Side of the Mountain, which was originally published in 1959. Yes, it won a Newbery Medal, but I know what I like. And even though I'm still not sure if I read this for the first time when I was a kid, I'm going to tell you right now that my adult instincts about my reading taste are, at least, very solid. Still, this book is obviously a classic, and I'm glad I had the chance to experience it for episode 95 of the podcast. In My Side of the Mountain, Sam Gribley leaves his home and large family in New York City to fend for himself on the property where his great-grandfather used to live in upstate New York's Catskill Mountains. It's unclear for much of the book how old he is, why he left home in the first place, and if his parents are even especially worried about him while he's gone for months on end. This lack of backstory and context drove me absolutely crazy while I read this book, and you'll hear me talk about that plenty over the next hour. You'll also hear my guests and I chat about the things we liked about Sam that made him a unique protagonist, share our alternate endings and backstories, and discuss why kids love survival stories and animal sidekicks. My guest on today's episode is Akemi Don Bowman, the author of William C. Morris Award finalist Starfish, as well as Summer Bird Blue and Harley in the Sky. Her upcoming sci-fi series, The Infinity Courts, is set to release in 2021, followed by her middle-grade debut, Generation Misfits. A proud Ravenclaw and Star Wars enthusiast, Akemi has a bachelor's degree in social sciences from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. She currently lives in Scotland with her husband and two children. Learn more about Akemi's work at www.akemidonbowman.com and follow her on Instagram at akemidonbowman and on Twitter at akemidon. Thanks so much to Akemi for joining me on this episode. Thanks, as always, to each and every one of you in the listener community who joined me for all of our episodes. Times are pretty weird and scary right now, and continuing to put my heart and soul into SSR has offered an amazing positive outlet. Not to mention the fact that books and reading are always an incredible escape from the real world. My hope is that listening to the podcast can offer an escape for you too. If you are someone who likes to escape into social media, you can join SSR there as well. Follow along on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod and find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. And if you feel like there are people in your life who just have to know about this show, those platforms are a fantastic way to spread the word. Please don't forget to tag SSR when you share so I can follow along with the conversation. Getting tagged in Instagram stories is especially fun, so please, please don't be shy about screenshotting the episodes you're loving and posting those screenshots to your story. It's exciting to see which episodes are resonating with you and what you're doing while you tune in. You can help support SSR beyond your own community and social media followers by leaving a five-star rating or review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help the show rank higher in the iTunes search engines, which means that it's easier for more people to find. Leaving a rating or review is a quick, simple process. I really appreciate everyone who's done it already. Rest assured that I have read your review and that I thank you for it. Big time. I also thank everyone out there who has come on board as a Patreon sponsor. Patrons contribute a few dollars, like as little as $1, per month to SSR in exchange for exclusive rewards. This is an independent podcast, 
which means I manage 100% of it on my own without support or funding from a larger organization. As the Patreon community grows, it enables me to invest more time and money into making the podcast the very best it can be, and I'm extremely grateful for all of those contributions. Get all the details at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. If you'd like to show your support for the pod but aren't ready to come on board as a monthly patron, no stress. You can also check out SSR merchandise at www.ssrpodcast.com slash shop. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I've got to say that our tote bags, t-shirts, stickers, and bookmarks are very cute. One last thing before we get into the episode. If you love listening to audiobooks and have yet to check out Libra FM, I would highly encourage you to do so, especially at this time when indie booksellers need our support more than ever. When you purchase your audiobooks on Libra FM, you get to support those booksellers. How cool is that? Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libra FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. Don't make me say the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month with code SSRPOD. Right now, I'm listening to Glennon Doyle's Untamed on Libra FM, and I can't say enough good things about it. Highly recommend, especially because I know I'm supporting independent bookstores while I tune in. I feel so lucky to get to partner with Libra FM and to share with you what they're doing every week. Okay, listeners, are you ready to go to my side of the mountain or your side of the mountain? Either way, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Akemi. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to have you. We're jumping into a classic today. It's been a minute since I've covered a book on the show that's this many decades old. We're talking about My Side of the Mountain. It was published in 1959. It was a Newbery Honor winner in 1960. We've been doing some more contemporary books more recently on the podcast. Lots of 80s, lots of 90s titles. So this is kind of nice to get back into this like classic language. Um, It's just such a different feel. And this book is much different than like, I've read a couple of Babysitter's Club books for the show recently, and this is like a full 180. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read this book before? Like, why did you decide to choose this one for the show? No, um, there was the the three choices and I had never read any of them. So (laughs) I was, uh, I literally just picked one that I was like, okay, that sounds good. I hadn't read it. One of my like, favorite books when I was growing up, which I think is why I picked this one. And I know that it didn't age well. I've heard that it's not got the best representation, but Island of the Blue Dolphins. And I read that as a kid a million times, like just back to back to back. And so this one is about kind of the same sort of like wilderness kind of feel. So I think that's why I kind of gravitated towards this story more than the others. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we read Island of the Blue Dolphins for the podcast, I want to say like over a year ago now. And that one did not age so well, primarily just because the author was a white man. And so, so much of our conversation on the podcast wasn't really about the book itself. 
itself as it was about like the all big the problems. Right. All the problems and like stepping back yeah. from the book and what it means to have mm-hmm. this particular author telling this particular story. And you can only imagine. But we've also yeah. done Julie of the Wolves on the podcast, which was also written by Jean Craighead George. That we did very early on in the show. And I did not read a ton of survival books when I was a kid. I loved Hatchet for some reason, um, which I've shared about on the podcast before. And I can link all of these episodes in the show notes for those listeners who maybe have not caught them. But for some reason, Hatchet by Gary Paulson was like the only survival story that I latched onto, which is weird because it, in some ways it feels like it's like this super masculine driven book. And, and we talk a lot on the show about like boy girl books and how boys are sort of handed certain books in schools and girls are handed other books in schools and how that sort of deprives us as children of like so many reading experiences and also how the whole like heteronormative two gender system just is clearly outdated anyway so it's just interesting I tended to read books that were more quote unquote like girly as a kid but I loved Hatchet um, and did not love these other survival stories so much I know you didn't read this one when you were a kid um, but do you remember what it was about a book like Island of the Blue Dolphins that you loved because I do think that a lot of kids love survival stories and I'm always wondering why because I didn't I didn't as much yeah I mean I I wouldn't have thought that I like survival novels specifically I guess but I guess maybe I'm just drawn to that kind of story I think there was something about being a kid and having no adult supervision I think like reading that I think was something that was just kind of like I guess that's like the ultimate fantasy isn't it like kind of like the running away and being on your own but also it was mostly the animals the animals like are always written in this way that they're almost like um like a Disney animal sidekick and I know they don't talk in the books but um I think this idea of having like a friend that's a wolf <laughs> like or a friend that's a raccoon or whatever it is was a uh, very cool like as a kid so I, th- I think that's probably where it came from the animals Animals are really fun. My favorite animal in this book, My Side of the Mountain, was the weasel, the baron. Yes. Yeah, mine too. (laughs) He's the best. So our main character in My Side of the Mountain is Sam Gribley. He's 14 years old. And for reasons that I'm sure we'll get to, he finds himself in the Catskill Mountains alone for an extended period of time. And he sort of puts together this found family of his own. He creates a community, including a few humans that present themselves throughout his journey, but also a few animals, primarily frightful, who is a peregrine falcon that he's trained. Fun fact, I'm afraid of birds. So I feel like I did not maybe like appreciate the falconry <laughs> stuff maybe as much yeah. as, as maybe as like Jean Craighead George would have wanted me to. So sorry about that to all the bird lovers out there. But <laughs> the weasel, the baron, who was small and furry and in my mind very cute, I really enjoyed. So I wanted to share a quote from an essay that I found about this book on a website called Fatherly. And the essay is called The Classic Children's Book, My Side of the Mountain Holds Up 59 Years Later. And of the animals, the writer says this, Jean Craighead George writes about the animals of the Catskills in a very matter-of-fact way. They are not treated with any sentimental magic. They behave like animals would. For instance, Sam never really becomes friends with the local weasel he calls Baron. Instead, the animal tolerates him, randomly biting him at intervals when Sam gets too comfortable. It's the same for the other animals. They live real lives and die real deaths, all in a very matter-of-fact prose. And I thought that that was a really great way to put it because there is something very magical about them, and Sam, because he's like alone in the wilderness assigns them personalities, but it's still pretty realistic. Yeah, definitely it is. At one point he says that he imagines the weasel is like a bachelor. Like that was one of my favorite lines of the book where he was like, (laughs) he seems like he might be a bachelor and he's like hanging out with me because he wants to have a more ordinary life. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Which I yeah. enjoyed. Yeah, the animals in these books are really great. And um, I always worry when I'm starting like a more survivalist book, whether it's for kids or adults, that there aren't going to be other characters because I'm really like a character-driven reader. Give me a book with a million characters and like a thousand pages and give me time to figure them all out and I'm very happy. So yeah. I liked that this book, even though it was really like this wilderness story, had not only humans that interacted with Sam over the course of the book, but also these animal characters that sort of operate as humans too, because Sam gives them that power. Did you feel like the animals like gave you enough of a well-rounded world, even though Sam was like largely alone for a lot of the book? Yeah, I think it it gave it more um, sort of like weight to to the stories, you know, like more depth or whatever, because it had him sort of have, I guess, caring about other creatures, like especially like the falcon um, specifically, like that became like his best friend. And I think if I remember right, there was like a line that he was worried about like what would happen if the bird like left and didn't come back. And it was like, I think that kind of attachment, you know what I mean? And then feeling like that loss again. And um, I thought that was like kind of nice because it kind of showed like he obviously, you know, didn't run away to just be alone forever. Like he can, he's capable of bonding with like a living creature. But um, yeah, so I like that part. Yeah, he thinks that she's going to migrate away as birds do. Yeah, that's what it was, yeah. And he says, Frightful was not absolutely necessary for my survival, but I was now so fond of her. She was more than a bird. I knew I must have her back to talk to and play with if I was going to make it through the winter. I liked that because he didn't, like, need her. He just wanted to have her. Like, he had learned a lot of survival skills by this point. I'm sure we'll chat more about this. But, like, the amount of things that he's able to teach himself, it's pretty amazing. Um, And while Frightful was really helpful for helping him hunt, like, he probably could have fed himself for a few more months without her. He just doesn't want to be alone. And as, as we talked about, like, the Baron, while very cute and funny tends to sort of like be a little bit more aloof like he's not around as much but frightful is always by sam's side yeah something that i always enjoy in a book for the podcast because it gives me some helpful context without necessarily having to look for it online is a preface and i don't know what edition you were reading from but the copy that i had um had a really interesting preface from the author and in it she talks about how when she was a kid she one day like packed up her bags and told her parents that she was going to run away from home and they very casually were like okay great and they like let her go and then in a few hours she came back and then she was reflecting on this when she had her own kids and she was like it's interesting that they just let me go and then I guess the same thing happened with her own daughter and she did the same thing that her parents did she was like okay great like we'll see you when you get back if you do if not fine and her daughter of course came back which I thought was interesting I don't know what my parents would have done I never threatened to run away from home but I don't know that my parents would have been that calm cool and collected about it I think you'd be worried like if they called your bluff and they were just like okay I'm gone and like and then yeah. at what point do you like like change you know course and be like actually you can't leave like, right like how not, far not are we get, right how far are we yeah. gonna get into this whole conversation yeah um and so that was her inspiration for this book I mean Julie of the Wolves is also very survivalist I don't remember all of it, but I don't believe that Julie like makes the decision to go out into the wilderness environment in that in that book the way that Sam does. And Sam's wilderness is much different than what we read about in Julie of the Wolves. But this was her inspiration for writing the book was that, you know, she had grown up sort of dreaming about what it would be like to run away from home. She saw her daughter have a similar little dream that she was able to sort of 
let her try and investigate and luckily nothing bad happened and she had this thought when she sat down to write the book where she was like great but Sam's not going to come back like Sam's actually just going to go and um, there was another story that she wrote in the preface about how she sent the manuscript to an editor and the editor loved it and and put all kinds of finishing touches on it and again this is like the mid to late 50s and um, when they finally brought the manuscript to the publisher the publisher was like oh we can't publish this because people are going to think that we're encouraging kids to run away from home or that we're promoting or <laughs> promoting it or whatever. And so for a while, Jean Craighead George thought that the book wasn't going to be published. And then she got a call from her editor who said that he had changed his mind. And the editor said, I simply told him it is better to have children run to the woods in the city. He thought about that since he has a home in the wilds of the Adirondack Mountains and goes off there alone himself. He suddenly understood your book. My Side of the Mountain will be published in the spring of 1959. So I thought those are some fun little stories behind the scenes um, anecdotes about how this book came to be. Do you remember ever having dreams of running away from home when you were a kid? Is this a thing that like most people do and I just was very out of the loop on? Yeah, I I definitely did, but I think I had no um, plan of action because I mean, (laughs) I grew up in Vegas like where were you really going to go? And I remember for a while when we moved to like one of the houses, it was in, it was like one of the first houses built in like a new development, so it was all desert and like most of the houses around us weren't even built yet it was just like you know a marked out kind of plot and I remember taking my bike and being out there and just like thinking like wouldn't that be cool if I just like wandered off and like lived on the wild but I mean there's nothing like what am I gonna there's it's a desert like there's no plans to eat so yeah it probably was not a realistic dream (laughs) but I guess in this book Sam sort of gets to live out that fantasy that that kids have I kept finding myself thinking as I was reading this book and I know that you're a parent too so I I would love your thoughts on this but there's sort of like I don't know this very chill attitude that Sam's whole family has about him running away from home and not only running away from home, but like potentially never coming back. Yeah. And I kept sort of like finding myself balancing between like, okay, are his parents just sort of irresponsible or maybe very irresponsible (laughs) or is part of this kind of the times? Like, is it the fifties and everybody's just sort of a little bit more like, I don't know, fend for yourself, figure it out. I don't know. I I couldn't decide if I was being too harsh to the parents, if I was being maybe too lenient with them. Like I had so many thoughts going back and forth because really throughout the book, like his parents never get very upset about the fact that he ran away from home and probably would have been happy to never come back. What did you think about that? Yeah, I think they're super irresponsible. I was, um, yeah, the whole way through, I was like, what is going on? Like, who would just be, like, so chilled out about that? And, uh, like, the dad um, obviously came to visit and stuff, you know what I mean? And then with the ending and stuff, and he's just like, what? What were you honestly thinking? Because they're, they're, like, fine with it. And I also got a bit, I wasn't sure how old Sam was supposed to be. And I don't know if I just missed the age. But, um, like, at the start, I think I assumed that he was, like, I don't know, like, 11. Um, and then as you read kind of his voice, and I'm like, well, he sounds a lot older. And then the way that his parents react, maybe he's, like, 17. But then I was like, I, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Because if he's 17, in the 50s, like, okay, maybe they're not as bothered. I, w- I would still be bothered if my 17-year-old ran off into the wilderness. But, you know, maybe that's maybe that's it. But, like, an 11-year-old is, like, a totally different story. Um, and I think he was supposed to be younger. Am I, I don't know if I'm just reading that wrong, but no, I echo all of that. I couldn't figure out how old he was. I actually have notes at multiple points throughout the book that are like, how old is he? How old is he? Um, and there was at some point, like I would say maybe two thirds of the way through the book, there was a line that I, I forget exactly what the context was, but it was something about like they had seen other 17 and 18 year olds like around the area. And so I also had thought up until that point that he was younger. And then when I read that line, I was like, okay, maybe he is older, which makes me feel a little bit better about the way his parents are handling this. 
But somewhere in my research, sort of separate from the book, I found that he's supposed to be 14. I'm not sure where somebody found that, but I don't know. And I wonder if maybe, maybe the author kept it vague so that like it would potentially appeal to people at different ages and maybe so that people would like maybe not come down quite so hard in his parents. I don't know. I kept <laughs> yeah. coming, I kept like bumping up against this idea of like, but where are his parents? Like, do they yeah. really not care? Um, his yeah. dad was like kind of excited that he had done it. Like his dad sort of casually shows up to visit him two thirds yeah. of the way through the book and is like, hey, what's up? Yeah, definitely. I, it, it was, it, that part was a bit weird. It was just like as a parent, cause I, you know, I have kids. I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. And I just didn't really understand how anybody could be so just blase about it. Like, like, oh, yeah, it's fine that you've ran off here. And, like, even his survival skills um, were kind of, like, suspect. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe he really does know all this stuff, but I definitely would not have known how to, like, make five-star meals out of, like, grass and roots. You know what I mean? He seemed to, like, be very good at it. And um, even when he cut his, uh like, his house, I remember, like, in my head, I don't know, maybe I was picturing it too big, but when he talked about, like, having this, like, house in the bottom of a tree like I'm picturing like kind of a big space and I'm like how does like a kid chop that do you know how hard it is to chop a log like let alone like carve out a home into a tree and uh yeah so I don't know maybe maybe he was a bit but 14 14 he's a really strong 14 year old yeah (laughs) maybe I mean I agree with you it was hard to believe some of it but I think the thing the flip side of that that I enjoyed and maybe this is just because like I'm projecting, but I love that he was like sort of more of an intellectual kid than you often get in stories like this. Like I thought that was really cool. He's a New York city kid. I think he's either the oldest or like one of the oldest of eight or nine children. So he's grown up in this like very small apartment and pretty much everything that he knows about going into the wilderness on his own, he's gotten from books. Yeah. And every time he sort of like talks about a new project that he's going to be embarking on, the sentence always starts with like the book says, or like according to the book I read and as a kid that experienced a lot of things and learned about a lot of things and got comfortable with a lot of things through books I liked that because I do think like so often in stories that have this sort of energy this vibe it's like usually that kid who like has camped a lot or like has a parent who's really good at outdoorsy stuff and that is not at all what Sam comes from his dad I think Mm -hmm. sort of maybe came from the country and then moved to the city but like we don't really get a lot of those details so as much as I agree that like I'm not sure that he actually would have survived with those like skills he learned from a book um I like that we got a chance to see like a different kind of character a different kind of kid yeah be he's definitely like resourceful yeah super resourceful super yeah which is like really cool yeah I think if if my brain had like processed that he was older sooner but I I honestly kept pitching like an 11 year old and I was thinking how does an 11 year old like (laughs) do you know what I mean but um yeah so I think I think maybe it was just the age thing but again like I don't know in the 50s maybe they were more forced to kind of grow up a little bit older and stuff like that I'm not sure but yeah I think that's true I mean there's y'all those conversations about helicopter parenting and as time moves forward parents are a little bit more involved or a lot more involved potentially with their children's lives um and that's sort of changing the rate at which kids are maturing I'm not a parent so I'm not going to speak to that but it's something that we've talked about with other books that I've that I've covered on the show where like depending on when a book was published kids sort of read at a different age than maybe they're supposed to be 
in our perspective. Yeah. So yeah. I think sometimes it's just like hard to place these children where they're like supposed to be or like where the author originally imagined they would be. Yeah. And, and if it is like, you know, it's supposed to be a fantasy story about running away, isn't it? So, I mean, in that sense, like you don't want to have some depressing thing, I guess, where he goes out there and then can't even, you know, start a fire. Like that would be a short book. So it makes sense that he'd have to be able to kind of like navigate that. And he was, he was luckily and conveniently close enough to a town that if he had questions, he could go ask them. And I like that too, because I'll say it again, like I'm not a huge fan of these survivalist stories where Mm -hmm. the kid or the adult or whoever is like literally in the middle of nowhere and has no access to any information, no access to other people. So there was a little bit of additional color, I think, added to the story because he could like just pop into town. I can't remember if I read this book as a kid. I've been, I've been trying to like dig into like the deep recesses of my brain to figure it out and even after I read it I'm not sure but I going into this reading experience as an adult I thought that it was more that kind of a story like I imagined more of this like big like rugged teen like going out into like the middle of nowhere mountains and living totally on his own so Mm -hmm. maybe I didn't read it if that's kind of what I had pictured and I like the fact that Sam in this book had some sort of options about who he could go to or the kind of help that he could get when he didn't know things because he didn't. He made some missteps. And I do think Mm -hmm. one of the things this book does really well is sort of demonstrate that like there's really a process to learning. I mean, we use that phrase a lot, like the learning process. But I think Sam in this book really depicts the fact that like when you're learning a new skill or trying to figure out something that you've never done before, you can start and then you can stop and then you can succeed and then you can fail and you have to have lots of sort of like mini lessons along the way in order to learn the bigger lesson. And we see that in a lot of the like survivalist projects that he takes on, a lot of the things that he tries to build or the hunting he tries to do, like he has to learn how to do it effectively. And um, he's pretty patient, which I thought was kind of cool. But I I think he didn't really know a lot when he went out there. He was willing to learn. He had done a lot of reading, but he knew he didn't know it all. And I thought that generally as like a blanket statement, this book does a pretty good job of showing kids that like things don't always come too easily and you have to like try before you know that you can't do something and just to always have the attitude of like let me fail before I quit like let me just see how I can do yeah the one thing that I was questioning throughout the book like and, and maybe I missed it I don't know I still feel like I don't quite know why he left home I mean he has this romantic notion that he's going to go live on his great-grandfather's land. There's this like sort of family legend that the Gribblies have this property in the woods in the Catskill Mountains and Sam wants to go live on that property. He wants to like live in the house. He thinks the full house is still there. But I mm-hmm. couldn't help but think that there was like more to why he wanted to run away from home. And this is probably just the adult reader in me thinking like mm-hmm. there has to be a reason. Whereas a kid would be like, great, he wants to go live where his grandfather lived. And I guess it's like he had a lot of siblings. Maybe he didn't like living in the city. He didn't have a lot of space. Did you feel like that was lacking or did did the author give you enough information where you were like, okay, great. I understand why he's going to leave. It's a very short book, isn't it? So um, there obviously isn't like tons of backstory for like really any of the characters. You don't really, um, I I don't even know if I would call that like a character book. Do you know what I mean? It's more just about like his journey of kind of running away and like living this like this fantasy, I think, is more what it's supposed to be. So yeah, there wasn't really like a lot of backstory in it. I mean, I guess you could kind of assume maybe having that many siblings and like being like with all the noise, maybe he was just getting overwhelmed and just wanted the quiet. Yeah, there wasn't really a kind of a clear indication of like whether he was unhappy or whether this was just boredom or like he left on a whim. And I think that's part of like 
for me, um, just personally, that that slight disconnect is probably because there was like the lack of the kind of reasons for him leaving. And so it kind of seemed like he was just like one day like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll go off to the mountains and just survive. And it's kind of like you you're not I don't know. I don't know what your plan is, but (laughs) I mean, it's all great to read books. Like, don't get me wrong. That's really research is like, you know, a huge part of the battle. But trial and error is also helpful. And like, I get that he does it while he's out there. But, you know, it was. um, Yeah, I guess that that sort of like shows his age, though, now that I'm thinking about it, like because I, too, had moments where I thought where he was 11 and then toward the end of the book, I thought he was older. But I guess like hopefully a 17 or 18 year old maybe would have prepared more. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say, really. But there was a I moment. I feel like these these answers would be a lot different if for sure there was like an age. You know what I mean? Like if I knew, I think it would have completely changed the reading experience. Like if I had known definitely what his age was throughout the whole thing. Because I think I kept jumping from like thinking like, what is a 16-year-old thinking versus what is an 11-year-old thinking? That's like a massive difference. Because maybe an 11-year-old also wouldn't have the language to even explain the backstory. Do you know what I mean? So maybe for him, you know, sometimes I think like I'm trying to think back to when I was 11, like if I was overwhelmed or anxious, like I wouldn't have had the language to necessarily say, I'm overwhelmed and anxious. You know what I mean? You would just kind of react. And so that would maybe make more sense that he wasn't really saying how he really felt again yeah it kind of depends on his age I guess yeah this book was largely well reviewed and you know of course has won all of the best and biggest awards um but the only criticism that I found of it that came out especially like right when it was published was I believe from the horn book who mentioned well this reviewer mentioned that Sam reads so measured and calm that it's hard to buy him as a kid of any age and I hadn't really thought about that because everything that we're getting from Sam is his inner monologue so I guess I wasn't thinking like oh if he was upset he would be like panicking as a narrator I don't know I I wasn't really aware of it as I was reading but when I read that note while I was researching for our talk, I was like, oh, you know, he probably would have had a few more moments of panic. I mean, we meet him in this book in the middle of, sort of in the middle of his journey. Um, We meet him in winter. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like reflecting back on a storm that was very scary. And he, of course, had been anticipating winter and how terrible that would be, how difficult it would be for him to survive. Mm -hmm. But once we sort of jump back to that point, in the wintertime later on in the book, he's like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. Like The storm was kind of scary, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. And I wonder if it would have been a little bit more believable or if we would have felt like we had a better sort of grip on him as a character if he hadn't been quite so measured all the time. Yeah, I agree. Like, even if... Like, even if there was, like, a point in the book, you know, when he was feeling scared, for, like, for example, for winter, and if he had said something, like, had a moment where he missed his family, do you know what I mean, or missed, like, that safety net or something, like, I don't know, something to make it more relate back to stuff, but, you know, he just wasn't that kind of character, I guess, and, you know, maybe it wasn't that kind of a book either, because, you know, if it's not a character book, maybe it was supposed to be more about his journey, but, um, but yeah, I felt like, um, he was, he was very, very mature. It does a little, even when he was finding the, um, like the bird, when he went to go get like the baby bird and he was just like, so casual, but like, he's like, I know what I need a hunting bird. Like I'm going to climb that mountain and steal the egg. And I'm like, or the baby from the nest. And I'm thinking like, you're like really confident. (laughs) Like I, I can't even get a spider out of my house without like (laughs) freaking out. And he's like scaling walls to like, yeah, rob a falcon. So yeah. Listeners, he like quite literally steals a baby peregrine falcon <laughs> out of the nest under the watchful eye of said falcons. Yeah, like falcon being mother. attacked. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is terrifying. And as I mentioned, I'm a person who is 
not unafraid of birds. So I know that I sort of am biased, but I think it was like a pretty terrifying situation for that would be scary for anyone. Nobody would walk away from that unscathed and he is like very calm he's like i'm gonna name the bird frightful just as like an lol to that wild experience (laughs) yeah frightful is like a very gentle adjective i would say to describe what actually went down in that encounter yeah but he was so calm about it like even as he's getting attacked when he got away he was just like oh well she's tricked now i'm i'm can escape (laughs) it was like you've just been like literally attacked well first of all you robbed that mom of her baby which which i thought was really sad yeah, really messed up. And it, yeah, he was just like so calm about it. I think he was like, yeah, I'm bleeding. Like <laughs> there was blood on my arm. He's, he is very calm. Yeah. I wonder if it's, if, and this, see, this is where I go as a, as a lover of character books. Like I can't help myself. I'm like, it's probably because he's like the oldest member of the family. He has all of these younger siblings. He's very mature. He grew up in this small space in an apartment. He's had to sort of teach himself to be calm. So this is where I go. And I, I don't think that Gene Craig had joined necessarily intended for me to go there but I can't help myself yeah and I mean if you know maybe his character too like to be able to I guess run away at that age um and not look back maybe you'd have to have that sort of personality do you know what I mean that like hardened you know heart or whatever and yes later in the book when he's having a conversation with Matt Spell who is one of the teens that he meets um who and I actually really like Matt Spell as a character he's this like aspiring reporter who's kind of trying to blow up Sam's spot and like tell everybody that Sam is living in the woods and he like wants to get the scoop and they they strike up this kind of funny friendship but In one of the last scenes of the book, he says something to Matt along the lines of like, I did this because I didn't want to be dependent on coal and electricity and trains and all of these other things. I wish that that was tied to something earlier in the book. Like I wish we'd had a scene where we saw Sam like living his life in New York City and being frustrated by his dependence on all of these things. Like it sort of seemed to come out of nowhere and I I couldn't help but wonder if he was from a family that he felt was overly reliant on those things or if maybe he actually was from a family that on the opposite end of the spectrum was like super into conservation because I thought that was an interesting idea Um, and he also said Mm -hmm. something along the lines of like people think about running away or I've thought about running away because I just wanted to do something different and that's pretty Mm -hmm. vague like it doesn't give you a lot of information but it it kind of says a lot about Sam as a human and I, I again like I just wish some of these like little nuggets that were in there had been more deeply explored because like I'm super into a 14-year-old boy from New York City who runs away just because he's like, I want to do something different than everybody else. Like, that's cool. But I don't know that I necessarily saw threads of that in his character in the previous 150 pages or whatever. Yeah, I agree. So that would have been interesting. Something that I sort of struggled with a little bit as I was reading this, and and listeners for context— as the, the last few episodes that you've probably heard over the last few weeks, this, this episode as well is recorded during really like the height of COVID-19 panic. Um, yeah. Social distancing, self-quarantining is, uh, is the new normal for us right now. Who knows what the world will look like when this episode drops in May. But um, there's a lot in this book about loneliness and about being isolated. Not as much as I thought there would be, so I was relieved about that. But there is a lot here about what it's like to spend time alone. And in that essay I referenced earlier from Fatherly, the writer explores this a little bit. And I just wanted to call out some 
some of those lines because I thought that they were interesting, especially in this like very unique time we're living in. He mm-hmm. writes, loneliness is a foreign concept to my children. They are surrounded by cousins and aunts and neighborhood friends. Even when those individuals are absent, they have each other. The thought of setting off for the mountains to live independently off the land offered a kind of frightening thrill, offering a tension in the story I never felt as an only child of divorced parents. If I were in the woods as a kid, I was usually alone with my thoughts and the sound of wind in the aspens. I felt a kinship with Sam. My children listened with more envy. So I don't know. I think... And maybe I'm reading, again, too much into it because we're in this very bizarre time, but I was really paying attention while I was reading to these moments when Sam is referencing being alone or being isolated and looking to the animals or like looking to nature to be his companions. Um, I just wonder how that struck you right now in the middle of social distancing and self-quarantining. Yeah. I mean, I I read this book over a month ago. I can't remember whenever it was that I I read it like right away. So it's been a bit of time. um, So I wasn't like reading it as this was going on. So yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, I think part of it too is like the loneliness thing. I mean, I think people are definitely feeling that obviously, and it's uh, difficult for people who don't have, you know, aren't living with their families maybe, or who are, you know, elderly and, you know, vulnerable and stuff. And, and I think that's going to be a big challenge for like a lot of people for a while. First of all, Sam made the choice to leave. So he's like choosing that. I think there's like a huge difference between somebody who's been told you have to isolate and somebody who's saying like, I want to isolate, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he doesn't really have kind of, I guess, that little bit of, I guess, grief, maybe like a form of grief of, um, you know, like the loss of something. And I guess, so everything he's sitting out for, it's all, it's all things that he's gaining really. So yeah. So I think it's like a different situation for sure. And I also don't feel like he ever got into the loneliness. Like, even though he talked about the animals and, you know, how they were his friends and stuff, he didn't really dig deep. And like I said, like there was never a moment where he was like missing his family and like upset about it. Do you know what I mean? Being like, you know, um, having regrets or so it, it just seemed like he was very, like okay with it. Well, and he's good at entertaining himself, which I appreciated. And there was a section near the end where he talks about all of the voices inside his head and how he is really good at like sort of staging these conversations really specifically among the people in his life. So he talks about how at any given time he can be having a conversation that involves his dad and Frightful, the falcon, and the weasel, and also Bando, who is this teacher that he kind of like keeps running into in the Catskills, who's become somewhat of a mentor for him. And he like knows exactly what each of them would say at any given point. And so he like thinks through all those conversations. So he does seem to me like a kid who just is really good at entertaining himself. He definitely seems to be an introvert. So he is like well suited to this kind of life. And I probably was just thinking into it a lot. But he also mentioned one, it was like, it was literally a few words and it just kind of of made me laugh in this moment he was I don't remember exactly what project he was going to be doing but he was doing one of his like survivalist projects and building mm-hmm. something or making something he was trying to figure out how to do it properly and he he said something along the lines of like oh like I just needed more time and I had all the time in the world or something and and yeah. I've been hearing so many people say that over the last couple of days being like, oh, well, time is sort of like no longer an issue. Time has just become like a construct and I have all of this time now to do whatever I want to do. Um, so I thought that it was sort of fitting in like a parallel with real contemporary life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the characters that he runs into while he's in the Catskills. Miss Turner, the librarian, is obviously one of my favorites and he wanders into the town which is called Delhi and he wants to go to the library and like 
get more information about some survival thing. And he feels like Miss Turner is like the only person who's really taken him seriously. Like I think he tells her, oh, I'm going to be living up where my family lived and this sort of stone foundation. And, and she is very not alarmed. And I, I will say sort of as an addendum to my thoughts earlier in the episode about how weird it was that his parents weren't more concerned. Mm-hmm. He runs into like a substantial number of adults who know that he's living alone in the Catskills who don't yeah. really seem to have any interest in like returning him to his family. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why the age thing was, if he was that little, you would think that definitely somebody would be like, this is not okay. Like you, you look like you've literally been running around a mountain for months, you know, where are your parents? Like you would think that somebody would. And like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He must be passing for like a somewhat appropriate teenage age. Maybe. And I understand that some of the people that he meets are like, maybe don't have access to a phone. Again, we're talking about the mid fifties here. We're in a fairly Mm -hmm. remote part of upstate New York, especially once he like really gets up near where he's living in this hollowed out tree. But the librarian Mm -hmm. in town, you would think could like get to a phone if she needed to or whatever. So that's sort of, again, like I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I feel like somebody should be uh, should be calling somebody to like make sure that this kid's okay. Yeah. But it was sweet that she helped it, him, and like just she just seemed like mostly concerned with him being safe and like yeah. that he knew what he was supposed to do so that he wouldn't get himself into like more danger than necessary. Yeah, which is which is nice. I I feel like a lot of the adults in the book though they seemed like they cared more about like the sensationalist story rather than like his well being. I think that's what I was like. I was like, what is wrong with you guys are caring about like the newspapers and like telling the stories? Like, has anybody gone to check on him? Like, has anybody called like I don't know some kind of social services or something to like be like, where are your parents? But yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys all know that someone's up there, or you're all talking yeah. about the fact that you think you do. So like, maybe you should double check. Let's talk more about Bando. I had mixed feelings about Bando. So <laughs> Sam sort of stumbles upon Bando or they stumble upon each other. Sam at first thinks he might be some sort of like an escaped convict because he hears police sirens um, while he's like out in the woods doing his thing. And then when he comes back to his camp or his tree where he lives, he sees this man like passed out near his fire. And he's like, oh, this must be the guy that the police were after. Um, and he hides and and just like wants to make sure that everything's okay. But it turns out that Bando is just sort of like a mild-mannered English professor who got lost while he was hiking in the Catskills and found the fire that Sam had left and thought that it was maybe like a Boy Scout troop that had left their camp um, and he had fallen asleep there because he was hoping that like maybe a scoutmaster or a group of boys would come and sort of like help him find his way home. I don't know. I, I found Bando a little creepy. I Maybe I was overthinking it. But so Bando like hangs out with him for a couple of days and then he's like, oh, I'll come visit again in a couple of months for Christmas. Yeah. was Is it weird that I thought that that was kind of strange? No, that is it is weird because why would you like Christmas for a lot of people, obviously not everybody celebrates Christmas, but if you do celebrate it, that usually is like um kind of an important holiday. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so to you to promise to come hang out with somebody at Christmas that you don't even know, like you've just met and he's a kid. This is the other, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's an adult, like, I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe in the fifties, like that was more normal. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think that was a little bit, I, I think anytime like an adult shows immediate attention to a kid like that, like in a story or a film, I would be like, that would send up red flags for me. Cause I'd be like, Oh, you need to look out for this guy. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, the fact that like nothing obviously came of it in the book, I guess he was nice, but yeah, it's a bit, 
bit weird to show that kind of like a hyper interest in somebody that you've just met who's a child. Yeah, I don't think there's anything inappropriate going on. He seems like a fine guy. It just Mm -hmm. made me a little uncomfortable. And maybe it's like a 2020 sensitivity that's actually probably very healthy, but I just didn't quite get it. I felt like for me, it felt like he was like enabling something. That's like that's how I kind of got like it because it, he didn't come across as like you know a, a parental figure that was like concerned about him. He came across as somebody who was like, "This kid's living my dream. Like I want to do what he's doing." And that's I think for me why it was like a little bit like weird because it wasn't you know not that he's doing something necessarily inappropriate, but that he's enabling like a child because he's trying to live vicariously through him which just seems irresponsible (laughs) yeah that's kind of how I felt no I can see that and the one thing that I actually well I like Bando he was nice he it was nice that he came back for Christmas I do think that he ended up playing a really important role in this found family that Sam creates for himself so I, I liked that and he is true to his word and in some ways he is kind of a mentor to Sam when Sam doesn't have other adults in his life that are like showing up for him in the way that he seems to want them to show up for him but the thing that I like was especially interested in as far as Bando as a character was that I kind of thought that he in some ways like felt like this potential it felt like Bando was sort of like a preview of what Sam could be when he grows up because the way Mm -hmm. I read Sam at least is as I mentioned like I feel like he's kind of this intellectual kid he's really into reading everything feels kind of like a romantic fantasy that if he like just reads enough about it he can like get it under control and figure out how to do it and how to manage it like that's kind of how he sees the world he's writing all of these notes about his adventure I don't know I feel like he has this like really interesting like intellect about him even the way he talks like Bando nicknames him Thoreau um yeah and so I don't know I sort of felt like maybe Bando represents this potential future for Sam where he grows up to be a super like bookish English teacher who like doesn't live outdoors and and maybe like the alternate path is that he decides to stay in this unique environment where he is like fulfilling his his family's legacy in a way that makes him feel really good i don't know it felt to me like bando represented like this potential path for him to take if he wanted to if he chooses like not to stay here forever yeah right so maybe that's overthinking it but that was sort of like how i was feeling better about bando as a character it just kind of freaked me out i'm not sure i really want to talk about sam's dad uh who shows up Again, like I feel like I keep saying two-thirds of the way through the book, but a lot happens about two-thirds of the way through the book. The first two-thirds of the book, it's a lot of like, and now we're building the house, and now we're killing a deer to make buckskins, and now we're like figuring out how to stay warm for winter, and on and on and on. But about two-thirds of the way through, all these things happen. It's Christmas. Sam starts to meet even more people, but Dad shows up for Christmas. And again, it's like remarkably casual. Yeah. He's just like, oh, hey, I found you. Like, (laughs) couldn't you have found him three months ago? It was so strange. So they have Christmas together. I pulled out a bunch of things that his dad said um, just to really drive home how how weird it was. He says things like, I've been reading about you in the papers and I could no longer resist the temptation to visit you. I still can't believe you did it. So yeah, if it wasn't clear, um, Akemi and I were mentioning briefly before that like, Yes, word has spread. There's news of this mysterious boy living in the mountains that's been in the papers. And there's some controversy about it, but I guess his parents have read it and have still not felt motivated to go find him. His dad also says, I just didn't think you'd do it. I was sure you'd be back the next day. When you weren't, I bet on the next week, then the next month. Okay, but but what then? I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. It's, they're very complacent. They're very... 
they're very like, you know, like, oh, I mean, at some point you would think that they'd be like, okay, it's been very long. We need to go out. Like one of us needs to go find him and get him home. Like this isn't even safe. Yeah. Very strange. Um, He also says, I would wear out my welcome by a year if I could, but I have to get back to work soon after Christmas. So you're just going to leave. You're just going to go back to work. I don't know. Um, He (laughs) says, mom sends her love and says that she hopes you are eating well-balanced meals. Is that really all mom has to say? That's all? She just wants to make sure you're eating? Okay. Yeah. And finally, this is my favorite. He says, I've decided to leave by another route. Somebody might backtrack me and find you, and that would be too bad. So let's just to clarify, he is not only going to leave and be like, hello, 14-year-old son. I am totally fine with you staying here without my supervision. Enjoy. But he's also going to say, and I'm going to make sure that nobody can find you. I'm going to cover my tracks because it would be so lame if you got caught. That is yeah. so freaking weird. Yeah, it is really weird. Do you know what would make this whole, I feel like for me, like this book would make so much more sense if there was like some kind of like reveal like and, and somebody said like actually like the reality of this book was that he wasn't really on a mountain he was just like behind the library in like a hill that he thinks is a mountain and he's like a kid so he to him that's the wilderness and maybe all these adults are like oh he's all right and they're checking on him but he's like oh he's okay i'd be like oh okay but that's not what happened i love that yeah that's yeah. it and that also yeah that would fix everything because you'd be like everything. i get it now like because they knew where he was the whole time and like you know all these people like letting him play his game kind of thing like that would make so much more sense. Totally. And I like what you said about reading it more as a fantasy. I hadn't thought about that before. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. And I think it would have been easier to read it as a fantasy if that were the case, if that situation you just described were the case, because it would be like, he is really living in a fantasy. He thinks that he's in like another world when he's really just a mile or less away from his family or other loved ones. It would have made all the difference for that detail. I don't know. I mean, we know that he's relatively close to this little town of Delhi. Maybe his dad feels somewhat safe in the fact that like, he's not really in the middle of nowhere, but it just, it just seems bizarre to me at so many levels the way it is yeah. here yeah i don't know the ending speaking of his dad being weird uh, i guess the ending's a little less weird his family shows up again at the end and they're like great now we're all here we've decided to like move here with you twist <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, uh, yeah <laughs> What did you think of that family reunion? I mean, it was kind of cute. He was excited to see his siblings. It was nice that his mom showed up. Um, it made yeah. me feel like he actually like did love his life or parts of his life in New York, which we didn't get at all in the rest of the book. But I, I have mixed feelings about the ending, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a little bit silly. It, it was like a wish fulfillment. And I think that's why when I said it was a fantasy, and so, I mean, I think that's what I mean. Like, it felt very much like it wasn't supposed to be realistic, maybe. If it was, then I've missed the point completely. But I felt like maybe it wasn't supposed to be realistic. And you're supposed to be reading it as like just like a kid's fantasy, which is why, like, I honestly think like if, if it had if there had been a reveal or even like not even it didn't even have to be in the book. But if somebody had if, you know, if the author come out and was like, oh, yeah, he, he wasn't really that far away. Like, the whole time, every adult knew what was going on. Like, his parents knew where he was. I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Do you know what I mean? And maybe his parents going to find him wasn't to live in the wilderness, but, like, maybe the suburbs. <laughs> maybe they were like, okay, we see the appeal of this. Like, let's move away from the city, and we can have what you want, which is, like, you know, like, you know, more countryside and stuff. Like, that would have made a lot more sense to me. But um, them just appearing and be like, we'll build a treehouse, too. Like, <laughs> it was just a little bit like, okay, guys, really, with your nine kids? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like from New York City. I mean, he mentions Third Avenue, so I assume they live in Manhattan. From New York City to Delhi in the Catskills, New York, I have a lot of questions. 
Where are the kids <laughs> going to go to school? Where are the parents going to go to work? How are you going to build a house with your own hands that's big enough for all of you. You don't have any materials. Like, I just have a lot of questions. This is the realist in me. This is the adult in me. And this is when sometimes it's hard to read kids' books as an adult. And I'm sorry if I'm not rolling with this ending as I should be, but I had a lot of questions. But I will say I thought the family reunion part of it was really special. And, like, I just wanted that warmth from Sam throughout the book because I thought he seemed like a really smart, sweet, sensitive kid and I love to see that in boy characters in particular especially from like 1959 I mean you don't see boys written that way as much back then but I I feel like I needed to see him with his family in this way to like really be like yes you're reading him right like he is this sweet sensitive boy and I think he missed them I, I do think maybe it's a little bit of like absence making the heart grow fonder he was excited to like see his siblings and show them what he'd built and that was pretty cool but it just it seemed to like end so perfectly so neatly and I guess I would have I would have liked for Sam maybe to have had to do like the less fun thing and go back to New York but sort of go back to New York with like some lessons learned and to maybe like see how he applied the lessons that he'd learned in the Catskills to his old life in the city like that would have been kind of cool too how do you think that he changed over the course of the book I mean the author doesn't put too fine a point on it which is nice like I'm glad it wasn't super moralistic in that way Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like how the experience changed him if he sort of got what he was looking for even if he didn't know that that was what he was looking for I don't know if he had a ton of growth really I think he just he got what he wanted which was a chance to run away and see if he could live off the land and he did it do you know what I mean so I think he got that but like um I don't think like as a person like for me I didn't feel like he you know had some big like moment where he was like you know uh, gonna change or do anything different he sort of just it was very very like wish fulfillment to me so I don't know what did you think I, I think that he did what he set out to do, which is an important mm. thing for kids. It's an important thing for anyone. I'm going to go back yeah. again to that fatherly essay, which I might be getting annoying, but it really is the most interesting piece of writing that I found about this novel. The author writes, at its core, my side of the mountain is a story about independence and really isn't that what our kids really crave. They want to be able to make decisions on their own. They want to be able to engage in dangerous activities like building fires and taming animals. And that's likely why my side of the mountain retained such an enduring quality even decades after it was published. After all, our kids live in a world where everything is mapped. What kid wouldn't want to imagine stepping off of that map and living on their own terms? Falcon entry is optional. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think he wanted to gain some independence. If he is a member of this big family, he probably, like, just wants to feel like he can do his own thing. There was a part of me that felt like he was craving some attention from his parents in a way that, like, he didn't really talk about explicitly, but there are moments in the book where it just seemed like he he was anxious in the conversations he had early on with his dad, like, when he was talking about running away. Like, I think he wanted his dad to engage with him more about it, and he didn't. So I think maybe he was looking for a little bit of attention that he wasn't getting He certainly gets that when he gets his Mm -hmm. dad out there. I mean, I think he should have gotten that attention earlier, but his dad does in the end come to find him and then the whole family comes to find him. So I think he got the attention. I think maybe he wanted to feel like an individual. He wanted to feel like he could do something. And if he is this kid that like really lives in the world of books, it probably felt really good to him to like do something out in the real world with his hands and like build something for himself. So yeah, I I think he probably feels a sense of accomplishment. I tend to agree with you though that I didn't get much of a sense of like 
personal growth or personal development. I've seen that more in other stories in this vein. Like in Hatchet, you see a lot of personal growth. Um, Mm -hmm. You see Brian like really becoming a different kind of kid. Yeah, I I wish that there had been a little bit more of that, but it was nice to see Sam feel so proud of himself and to be so disappointed, like thinking that it could be taken away from him if his parents made him go home. Yeah, yeah. So this is the part of the show where if you had read the book when you were a kid, I would ask you if it had held up this time around or if it had disappointed you. Since you didn't read it when you were a kid, I'm wondering if this book met your expectations of what you thought it would be, if it disappointed you, sort of how you feel it holds up in general in 2020 as a book intended for middle graders for me it was if you're reading it as just like uh not to be like like you're not expecting it to be like an accurate representation of what it would be like to be in the wild and survive you know what i mean it's not like gritty it's not like very deep i guess so yeah if you're if you're reading it as sort of like just like a fantasy very like light kind of um what would it be like to run away then yeah i think i think that holds up and i think that's what maybe for that age range that's what they're going for anyway is maybe to for as a kid to pick up the same way that i picked up you know island of the blue dolphins and then that was i mean she didn't run away obviously but um that kind of being off on your own and sort of like this imagining what that would be like yeah i'm sure i'm sure that that holds up but not from a realistic standpoint and I think for me I very much like a bit more sort of context for what why people do things and uh, a little bit more heart I guess and this wasn't it just wasn't that kind of a book which is totally fine so for me yeah I would probably kind of pick something else but it seems like you and I might be similar readers yeah but I, I appreciate you reading this book with me. Um, I'm still not sure if I read it as a kid, but I'll keep thinking about it between now and when this episode drops. Other than My Side of the Mountain, what have you been reading lately, Akemi, that you might recommend to our listeners? It doesn't have to be a kid's book. It can be anything that was really good. Oh, well, one of the more recent ones that I read was um, The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. Have you read that? I haven't, but I've heard about it. Oh, it's so good. It's um, it's a fantasy and it's got like dragon riders in it. Well, it's got more than that, but I say dragon riders. Oh, it's just incredible. Like the world building is just like on a different level. And I really, really love that. I love books that make me fall in love with writing again. Um, and sometimes you just pick one up and like the words are just so beautiful and lyrical and it just makes you, it gives you so much inspiration and you just want to sit down and like start like typing in a different world and stuff. Um, and this like totally did that for me. It like reminded me why I love words. That <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. really good. That's like yeah, really good. That's a very good pitch, an extremely (laughs) good pitch for a book. I'm going to have to check it out myself, and I will include a link to it in the show notes for this episode in case all of you listeners want to check it out as well. I will include a link to My Side of the Mountain and also to your books, Akemi, Starfish, Summer Bird Blue, Harley in the Sky, and then I know you have a new series coming in 2021, so listeners, be on the lookout for that. Very exciting. And it's been so fun having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to read this with me and to share your thoughts on a book that like, we both felt lukewarm about, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's going to be a good book for people who like it. You know what I mean? It's like just personal taste, I think, more than anything. So Yeah, not yeah. for us, but that's okay. At least we got to talk about it with somebody who felt the same way. Sometimes that feels good. Um, but thank you so much. It was so nice chatting with you. And hope yeah, you have you a really well. good rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for having me on. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. 
find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>